Uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Coming back to the United States four years ago, I began to try to figure out how to share the gospel in this land that I left many years before. And I've read different books, and one of the most helpful books I read was, is called Get Real by a friend of mine, John Leonard, who was a missionary as well. And in that book, he talks about 
the power of prayer. But not so much the power of prayer as we pray for people, but the power of prayer as we offer to pray for people and pray with people. And I have been surprised to find how open people have been to prayer as I've met them in the restaurants or in the shops or on the street or in the neighborhoods. Almost nobody has rejected the offer for me to pray for them. And sometimes, right then, they'll take my hand or put their hand on my shoulder and sometimes begin weeping and allow me to pray with them. I've been quite amazed at the openness in this culture of prayer. I'm not sure why that is. But most people seem to be happy for us to pray for them. And that often gives an opportunity, of course, to talk about the one in whose name we pray. Now, we Christians, understandably, are happy to pray for each other and to have people pray for us. Why? Well, because we believe in God and we believe that he answers prayer in Jesus' name. And so we're happy. So when a Christian says to another Christian, I'll pray for you, would you pray for me? We understand why that is so important and how that helps us and comforts us. And what we have in this chapter is a prayer. But this prayer is a unique prayer. There's nothing like it in all of Scripture. And that is because it is a prayer of Jesus. Now, we have other shorter examples of Jesus praying, but here we have a lengthy prayer that Jesus prayed on the eve of His being betrayed and then going to the cross. And He prays for His disciples both the disciples that existed at that point and the disciples before that. But this is not exactly a prayer for the disciples. Or I should say, it's not primarily a prayer for the disciples. It is a prayer, overall, for God's glory. And we see how that theme goes through this prayer. So the the primary focus of the prayer is not the disciples. The primary focus of the prayer is God's glory. And we'll see how that plays out in the disciples, both those who were with Jesus at the time and those who became disciples later. Notice how he begins this prayer. We saw last week that it was the end of this final discourse with his disciples before the cross, and then he prays for them. And it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, all of these words that we've been hearing over these last weeks, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And here we have the primary petition. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. That was his prayer. That God would be glorified, that he would be glorified, that they would glorify each other. Now, what is God's purpose? Why does God exist? That is, for what purpose does God exist? And we see through a number of readings of Scripture, such as this one, that God exists for His own glory. If you want to ask the question, why does God, that is, what is the purpose of God's existence? He exists for His own glory. Now, the astounding thing about that is that Jesus is saying, glorify yourself in me, and let me glorify you, because the hour has come. And if you have been with us through this series on the Gospel of John, your, your antennas will go up. The hour, we have heard him say throughout this, my hour has not yet come, the hour has not yet come, and then at the day of the triumphal entry, he says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what did he mean? 
he said, well, a kernel of wheat was going to fall to the ground and die. He was going to be glorified by dying. He was going to glorify God by dying. Now, that is astounding because if you look at the, the culture, to die on a Roman cross was the most shameful thing you could do. But this flips it on its head, and this is how Christ is going to glorify the Father, and how the Father is going to glorify Him through the cross. Now, you are not, as I've just said, you are not God's primary purpose. God's glory is His primary purpose. Now, sometimes we forget that, but we are not God's primary purpose. His glory is His primary purpose, but the primary way He gets glory in the earth is by giving eternal life to people like us. If we keep reading, Father, the hour has come for His death. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. Now, notice here the reference throughout this prayer, and we've seen it other places in the Gospel of John, that Jesus refers to those whom God has given Him. They already were selected by God, and He gave these as a gift to His Son. And the Son glorifies God by giving eternal life to those whom the Father has given to Him. So the Father gives a people to the Son, and the Son gives eternal life to those people, that people. And that is the primary way that God gets glory in the earth, that the Son gets glory in the earth. So even though you're not the primary purpose, you play a big role in God's glory because by giving you eternal life, God gets the glory. What is eternal life? There is something of a definition in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That could be a definition, that eternal life is knowledge of the true God and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or, with a little bit different translation, the purpose of eternal life is to know God, and this is eternal life, in order that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But however we translate that, knowledge of the true God means eternal life. And Jesus says, I've glorified you already. Verse 4, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And it's interesting in this prayer, Jesus prays as if it were already accomplished. As if he had already died and risen. He's he's praying because he knows this is a, a done deal. This is something that is going to happen. It's upon him. And he prays knowing that it's going to happen. He says, I have accomplished everything you gave me to do. And then he says in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He's saying, I lived in eternal glory before the world was ever created. I want to return to that glory, that prior glory that I had and that glory that I shared with you. And so this is the the prayer for glory. But he says, he goes on and says that he, he glorified God on the earth by manifesting God's name. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me 
out of the world. This contrast between those whom God has given him and the world. If somebody is given to him, that person comes out of the world and is no longer part of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that's an encouraging, encouraging note, isn't it? Because throughout the Gospels we see, we see the, the constant failures of the disciples. And it seems that they're not getting it, and they're not getting it, and they're not getting it. But here Jesus says, yes, but in contrast with the world, they got it. They have kept your word. They have believed in as much as they could up to this point. They have kept your word. Now, they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So, up in as much as they were able to do that, they kept the word that Jesus gave them. They received it. They believed it. They believed that God sent him. And so they were in great contrast with the world that rejected all of these things. And then he says in verse 9, it can't get any, any clearer than this. I am praying for them. I'm praying for those, the ones you gave me, the ones who accepted your word. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. A very clear contrast. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for His own that God gave Him and to whom He gave eternal life. And those are the same as those who kept His word. Then the conclusion of this section, all mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. There we have it. How is Christ glorified on the earth? He's glorified in this people whom God has given to him and to whom he has given the true knowledge of God and thus eternal life. That's where Christ's glory is seen in the earth. And then he goes on to pray for that people. Think about this. If Christ's glory is wrapped up in these people then he has a special personal interest in the fact that these people do well. Why? Because that's where his glory will be seen. If these people do not do well, this people that God has given him, then his glory will not be seen. But if, but if he exists for his glory, and that glory is wrapped up in this people whom God has given to him and to whom he gives eternal life, then he, of course, wants them to do well, for their own sake, but also for His own glory. And so He prays for them. And first He prays for those who were His disciples at that point, And then He prays for those who would become disciples. So first of all, those who were already His disciples who were in the world. Verse 11 says, I am no longer in the world. Once again, as if He's already gone. It's, 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 it's done. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. This is the dynamic that, that, that it informs this whole prayer. Jesus is leaving, and He is leaving them here. He says, I'm leaving them. They're going to stay in the world. I'm leaving. And then He calls God, Holy Father. Holy Father. We don't see this anywhere else in this Gospel. Holy Father. And you'll see why He refers to His holiness as we get on to the, the focus of His prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This verb, keep, goes throughout this 
this, this prayer. They have kept your word. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And what is the, the name of God? It's God. The name of God is the person of God. And he's saying, keep them, Father, close to yourself. Keep them loyal to you. And the result of them being loyal to you is that they will be one. Now, there's an astounding comparison here. He says that they may be one even as we are one. And, and here, he, he mentions this several times throughout here. He's saying, our relationship, Father, Son, is a pattern for their relationship. And we have talked about the, the doctrine of the Trinity, which comes out very clearly in the Gospel of John, that the Father is God, the Son is God, and that there is only one God. The Spirit is God as well, but there is only one God, and there are three persons. And so they have individuality, and they have unity. And he's saying, I want them to be this way as well. And if you keep them close to you, Holy Father, they will enjoy that. They will retain their individuality, and they will be united among themselves. And he says, I did that. While I was with them, verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he says, I've lost no one except one that looks like an exception, but it was a planned exception. It was a planned exception, and that's Judas who became the betrayer that the scripture might be fulfilled. But he says, I've kept them. I've kept them as long as I've been here, but I'm not going to be here, Holy Father, to keep doing that. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see what's going on? He says, I've kept them, but now I'm leaving. Holy Father, now you keep them. And he says the results, two results... One result will be that they will be unified. If you keep them loyal to yourself, they will be unified. And they will have joy. They will have joy. If you keep them close to yourself, they will experience joy. And he says, uh, my joy. He's already told us this before, that he's going to give us his joy. But he says, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, this is important to to stop here and, and notice something. Because it may rub us at first glance the wrong way when we talk about God existing for His own glory. Because when we apply that to creatures, when we apply that to ourselves, we would say that's not right for someone to exist only for his or her own glory. It it doesn't sound right when we say that at first. But when we see the purpose of God living for, existing for His own glory we see that the end result is we get joy. So God gets the glory and we get the joy. So far from being something that harms others, if I were to live only for my own glory, I would be harming other people. But when God lives, exists for His own glory, and acts for His own glory, the result is that we get the joy. And so the best thing for us is that God exists for His own glory. That's the most favorable thing for us. He gets the glory, we get the joy. Now, he goes on and says that that he is leaving, and he says, I've given them your word, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When I first became a Christian, I heard an expression. And I didn't know where it came from. And it sounded like an evangelical cliché. But then I realized it's really a good summary of Jesus' prayer here. And that is that Christians are in the world, but not of the world. Jesus says, I'm not taking them with me. The world hates them, and the world will hate them, but I'm leaving them here on purpose in the world. But I'm not of the world, and they're not of the world. I'm leaving people who are no longer of the world in the world. And we'll see the purpose of that. He says, I've given them your word. The world hated them. So they have this word that Jesus has given them from the Father. They're in the world. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. My prayer is that you keep them from the evil one. That's the negative side. This is what I I want you to rescue them from the evil one in this world that hates them. But positively, he goes on in verse 17, what he wants the Holy Father to do. Holy Father, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Now, the the words don't come out quite... uh, It's not that they don't come out quite right, but we, we miss the connections here in English because he says... Holy Father, sanctify them in the truth. And then he talks about he consecrates himself uh, to, to do God's will. And this is all the same word base here. Uh, so, Holy Father, holy your people who are in the world. So, a Holy Father, keep them in your name, and your name is holy. In other words, keep them holy. Make them like you. And, and, and this, this prayer for sanctification, for increased holiness. Now, by the way, what's holiness? We can see a little bit about what that is if you go to verse 19. And here the translation says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. That's the same word. But the translators have translated it two different ways perhaps because they didn't want to give the idea that Jesus needed to be made more holy. And if, if, if we read, as English speakers, I sanctify myself, we might think Jesus was making himself more holy, but the essence of this word holy, the essence of the idea of sanctification, is separateness. Separateness, and that's why this translation, I consecrate myself. And those things in the Old Testament that were consecrated, that were sanctified, they were set aside, either persons or objects were set aside for God's use. So Jesus is saying, I set myself aside for God's purposes. Now, Holy Father, who is set aside from all of the creation, now set aside your people. But also this word carries with it moral implications as well. Because if we are set aside for God's use, then that indicates how our lives should be. And that's why we talk about a holy person. We're talking about a a person who is devoted to God, who is pure in his or her life, so on. 
So it's being set aside for God's purposes. Jesus did it, and he prays that the Holy Father would do it for us as well. But notice how that can happen. Sanctify them in the truth. So holiness is not possible apart from the truth. But where do we find that truth? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And we have seen, I think even last week, we've seen where we get that word. Where we can find that word that is truth. That the the Father gave His words to the Son, and then the Spirit gave those words to the disciples as well. Jesus gave them to the disciples. The Spirit gave them to the disciples. And we have those words in this book. There is no path to holiness. There is no path to sanctification that does not run through this book. The only way to grow in holiness, the only way to be sanctified is to be in this book. So, that's the prayer. Jesus says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, that was principally, I've applied that somewhat to us, getting a little ahead of myself, but this is principally his prayer for those disciples that existed in those days. But then he makes the pivot in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Any of those present? That is how we would describe ourselves if we're believers today. How did we come to be believers? Well, we received the word that the disciples gave and we believed it. And then he says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he repeats similar ideas. He prayed for his disciples to be sanctified, to have joy and to be one, just as there is unity in the Trinity, that we would show that kind of unity. And he says, if that happens, if we, speaking of us now today, those, those later disciples, believers in Jesus, if, if we are sanctified, if we are, are sanctified in the truth, and if we are exhibiting joy and unity then that will make our testimony to the world powerful. Look at verse 21. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you want the world? Do you want people from the world to believe that God sent the Son into this world to save those who believe in Him? If you want that, this is the recipe for your life that you would be set apart and unified so that the world will believe what you are saying. He says that the glory, goes back to this theme of glory, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Then he goes on, verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you, I'm sorry, and loved them even as you loved me. I, I stumbled over that reading because it surprises me. 
every time because it seems almost to be saying too much. Let me read that again. I'll try to do a better job this time. It says, verse 23, So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Did you catch what that says? Jesus is saying to the Father, you love these. And now he's talking about disciples today who have come to believe through the word of the original disciples. He's saying, you love them as much as you love me. Just as you love me, you love them. Now we see the extent of John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. He loved the world, but then He takes those out of the world and He places His love on those who believe in the Son. How much love? The kind of love that the Father has for the Son. That's the kind of love that God has for His people. And then He says, in summary, Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He goes back to his glory and he says, Father, I'm leaving them here for now. Keep them now. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Make them more and more one. Cause people to believe your word through their witness but I really want them to be where I am. Now we usually think about our time on earth and the shortness of our time on earth as a curse. It's the wages of sin is death, and that's true. But even that curse is being transformed here. What is death for the believer? It's getting to go with Jesus and see that glory that He had before the world began. He says, Father, I want them to see that glory. I've shown them some of that glory now, but I want them to see that that display of glory. And so, one day, he says, I will take them home and they will see that glory. And then he sums up 25 and 26. Now he calls him righteous, Father. Even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. And I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known, presumably by the work of the Holy Spirit, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. In case we didn't get it, he repeats it again. The love that you have for me, I want that same love to be in them. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. This is the prayer of glory that He prayed for us. Now, Jesus leaves His own in the world. He leaves us in the world with a very clear purpose. And that purpose is this, that we would declare His Word to the world that people would believe it and then no longer be part of the world. That they would be those among those whom God has given to the Son, those who have eternal life, those who know the Father and the Son. In order for our words to be effective, He's told us how we need to live our lives. He said that our lives need to be loyal to God in accordance with the dictates of His Word, 
kept in His name. Our lives need to be holy, set apart for God, and living according to His norms. And the result will be that we'll be unified one with another. And then people will listen to our words and believe when we tell them about Jesus. Now, one of the things that is lamentable in today's world is division among Christians. And yes, we should definitely work on trying to heal the divisions among Christians, whether they're personally or denominationally or whatever that might be. But usually we go about this backwards. Usually we quote some lines from this prayer and we say, see, we should all be one. But let's remember the path to unity begins with loyalty to God according to the dictates of His Word and holiness in our lives. And oftentimes what we do is we jump right to unity and says, well, let's, let's try to come up with a, co- a common denominator here. Let's leave things aside and just preach unity. But there will no, be no biblical unity if we are not loyal to God according to His Word. If we are not holy in our lives according to His Word. Any sort of unity that we're able to forge by, by our own efforts will not be the kind of biblical unity, the kind of unity that Jesus is praying here. He's praying for a, a loyal unity. He's praying for a holy unity informed at every turn by God's revealed Word. So how do we get to unity? We go to the Word and we submit ourselves to the Word. And the more that, that those who profess to be Christ's followers submit to the Word, the more unified we will become. Now, we need to start with the Word. And that's why we do what we do here. We study the Word. We read the Word. Because we know that our lives need to be more and more conformed to the world. We need Word. We need to be more and more sanctified, set apart. And that's our prayer. And another one of our prayers that we've been praying in this church, and I'm hearing Christians pray this prayer around the world perhaps, and that is for revival. During this pandemic, we have been praying a decent amount for revival. But I wonder if we know what we're asking. Because when we think about revival, and we read about revivals in the past, we look at the effects of revival, and that's what we're praying for. And what are the effects of revival? Well, the effects of revival is that many people come out of the world, and they join the church. And that's what we want. We want people to come out of the world and join the church, but we forget that there is something prior to that in revival. And that is getting the world out of the church. That's what happens that sets off revival. It's not that all of a sudden people start pouring into the church. It's that Christians become more and more loyal to God according to His Word, become more holy in their lives. And then there is such a dramatic difference between us and the world that the world begins to believe when we're telling them about our Savior. And so the most urgent task is not to get the world into the church, but to get the world out of the church, to get our worldly values out of the church so that we are genuinely distinct, so that we genuinely set apart so that we're genuinely holy. And then, and then we preach the gospel to the world. And the world will believe what we're saying. 
Because they see it in our lives. They see that we are that people that the Father from all eternity has given to the Son and that the Son has given eternal life to us. A people that is not of the world, but we're still in the world for God's greater glory. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do pray for ourselves. Hearing Jesus' prayer for us and pray that You would sanctify us in the truth. Your Word is truth. Make us more holy, Lord, so that when we take Your Word to the world, they may believe us and believe that You sent Your Son into the world to save a beloved people out of the world, a people whom You love even as You love Your Son. And we pray this in His name. Amen.